Have you ever had to live with roommates, maybe a long time ago, or maybe you're dealing with that right now? It can be tough to find a good one, especially if you have to resort to, you know, the dreaded classified ads to try to find someone. Consider this Craigslist post from 2013. Roommate wanted for a unique living arrangement. Let's lay out all the cards. I have two potbelly pigs who will be an unavoidable part of your life. They are intelligent, sweet, and adorable, but they also behave like pigs. And so anyone who lives here must understand how to interact with them. That I can teach you. But the oldest will bully you. They are herd animals, and while I am ultimately the alpha, he feels the need to climb the hierarchy. If you live here, you are in his herd, so he will challenge you every so often to establish who is where in the hierarchy. He can also be very sweet and cuddle with you on the couch while you watch television. We can discuss the pig topic further. I bet you can. Man, quite an offer, right? I wonder if people are jumping at that chance to, to answer that ad. At least the poster volunteered to teach the new roomies in the way of swine politics. That's, that's not something you can learn just anywhere. Now, Proverbs 8 is an in search of ad made by Lady Wisdom and posted publicly. And she makes quite an offer to instruct and to enrich and to enhance the life of anyone who wants in. And she talks about the home that she lives in and how she wants us to uh, be at at her door every single day. And so it, it reads very much like a roommate wanted advertisement. What is wisdom? Uh, When the Bible uses that term, it's much more than smarts or knowing a lot of trivia, knowing a lot of information about a particular topic. Dr. Bruce Waltke writes, Wisdom in the Bible means masterful understanding. The possession of wisdom enables humans to cope with life and achieve what would otherwise be impossible and includes knowledge of the Holy One himself. And so wisdom in the Bible is a method of knowing and evaluating and deciding in life according to a set of truths that have been revealed by God for us. Of course, wisdom, as we find in the book of Proverbs, is not restricted to religious pursuits. It is meant to be applied At every level of life, the physical life, the spiritual life, the emotional life, the economic life, the relational life, at all of these levels and more, God's wisdom is necessary for all of it. And he says as much. Derek Kidner, a great Bible commentator, writes this, The wisdom of God is as relevant to the shopping center as to heaven itself. And we have, in the Old Testament, whole books that are called wisdom literature uh, that that sort of uh, distill and concentrate on the applied wisdom of God. Now, in this passage, God is pleading with us, inviting us to receive the gift of His perfect wisdom so that our lives can be benefited. He's speaking for our benefit. He's speaking so that we can be sustained and enriched in all the ways that matter most. And this offer comes not a moment too soon, if you ask me. People all throughout history have needed God's insight, have needed God's revelation, of course. People have always needed God's wisdom. But we live in a time that is absolutely desperate for truth and wisdom, don't we? Uh, Today, not that polls are the big, you know, uh, measurement of everything, but if you consult polls, they show that, that our trust in most institutions is dropping, When it comes to uh, over 14 different institutions that pollsters, you know, look at 
our trust in them is going down all the time. When it comes to the economy, it's going down. Our trust in the military, going down. Higher education, going down. Our political leaders, definitely going down. The media, the medical system, courts, and more. Every time that, that researchers go out and poll how people are feeling in our culture and our society, confidence is sagging. The world doesn't know what to believe about just about anything these days. We see people grasping for, for some standard, some director, some rudder to guide our thinking. And so we see people going to places like podcasts and social media for insight into life. Hey, I've got no beef with podcasts, but it is a remarkable thing that a lot of people are finding insight for life in a comedian's podcast. Uh, it's a little bit scary if you ask me. Or think about it this way. We all sort of grope around right now for one study or another to verify what we already thought was true. We aren't sure who to believe when we're being spoken to, but at the same time, we feel very sure in who not to believe, no matter what they're saying. And so it's a desperate time when it comes to truth and comes to understanding. Pew Research, they make their living doing these sorts of studies. They write this, many think America is experiencing a crisis in facts and truth. The vast majority of adults say that Americans' level of agreement on the basic facts about issues and events is a problem. And it is a problem. Uh, one illustration of this problem is the fact that everyone thinks everyone else is a fascist today. Have you noticed this? Uh, depending on what channel you're watching, depending on what Facebook page you're on, depending on who you're talking to, if you voted red, you're a fascist. Or if you voted blue, you're a fascist. Uh, it's like uh, in that movie. You keep using that word. I'm not sure it means what you think it means. Uh, you know, so everyone's a fascist. It would be funny if it weren't so pitiful. This is our society. This is our country. This is the, the Western world and it seems to be in some real, real trouble. In this distressed and exhausted world, the Lord God has not abandoned us. He has not left us alone. He is calling out, and he is offering the master's understanding, and with it his peace and his insight and the richness of joy that can only be found by going his way. And he says that true, masterful understanding for life and for godliness is available to each and every one of us right here, right now. So let's look at the opening of our passage, starting in verse 1. Doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? At the heights overlooking the road, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the main entrance, she cries out. Proverbs is a collection of the true teachings of God in poems and lectures. Uh, typically, they're, uh, you know, we think of them as the Proverbs of Solomon, but there are some other names listed in there, King Lemuel and, and some other things. Some people think it's just different names for Solomon. Some think it might be a group of people. But it's a collection of the true teachings of God through his people. And they are presented as tools to be used to living a life that not only pleases God, but in a, we use these tools so that we can avoid the folly and the failure that we are prone to fall into as finite human beings. Now here, remember, Proverbs is a poetry book. They're poems. And so wisdom, God's teaching, is pictured here as a lady. But as we read, always remember that it is God himself reaching out passionately and personally to you. It's, it's God, your creator, your maker, the lover of your soul, who is speaking to you through this literary device. His, his love for you, his special, unique 
creation is what is causing him to call out uh, urgently here and personally. And though this chapter is speaking originally of the teachings collected in this book, we know that all scripture is God-breathed and given so that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. And so this morning, when we hear the word wisdom reference, which we will over and over in the text, it means the word of God, the truth of God, that he has revealed, not just things that work, out in life, but know the revealed truth of the God of heaven, which he has given to us in his scripture. As the poem opens, we find wisdom calling out everywhere people are found. She's on the highways and the byways. She's downtown and at the county line. She presents herself in the places where disputes are decided, where politics are discussed, where business is transacted, where life is lived. She's everywhere, calling out. She's not hiding. She's not cloistered away. She's not in the shadows. She's calling out to everyone. And so as you, the traveler, are walking through life, as you come up to the crossroads, that's what uh, one image that is depicted here, there she is standing at the nexus of those crossroads, waiting for you, calling out for you, asking for your attention, hoping that you'll take a moment to listen to what she has to say. Because she knows, unlike you and I, she knows what is along the road of each one of the, those forks and what is at the destination. Verse 4 says, People, I call out to you. My cry is to the children of Adam. Learn to be shrewd, you who are inexperienced. Develop common sense, you who are foolish. God's offer is for everyone and for everyday living. Uh, C.S. Lewis would put it, every son of Adam, every daughter of Eve. I always love that in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, how all the animals keep calling them sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. But it includes everyone. And we see here that this isn't just some strange, lofty, mystical way of thinking. And you see that in some different world religions, Eastern religions, where everything is very mystical and strange, and I guess what they would call esoteric, whatever that means. But God comes and he says, hey, I have something that is ultimately important for you, something that is absolutely essential for you, and and it works on a common sense level. Uh, He's not just talking about the eternal state. He's not just talking about the heart life. He says, hey, I'm also talking about um, common sense here. I'm talking for regular living. And so it's for everyone and it's for everyday life. And though none of us want to think of ourselves as foolish or inexperienced, the reality is we all need continual growth in the understanding of God's truth. We all need it. No matter how long you've been a believer, no matter how many times you've read through the Bible, uh, no matter how many times you've been around the world, all of us fall short of the perfect understanding of God. And he says, hey, I, I want you to continually develop yourself in this understanding. Uh, Moses said this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He said to God's people, be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. And remember, he's saying that to people who could see the, the Shekinah glory of God in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. They could see the presence of God visibly in their midst. And God was physically, visibly leading them through the wilderness. And Moses said, hey, everybody, pay attention real quick. You, you need to guard yourself so that you don't let these things slip from your minds. 
Now, we read that and we say, how could it possibly slip from their minds? God showed them exactly where to go. God showed them exactly where to camp. God spoke to them about what to do, what not to do. And even to that group, Moses says, hey, we as human beings, we need to be careful. We as God's people, we need to be on guard and dedicate ourselves to applying our minds and our hearts to the understanding that God has revealed. To answer wisdom's call here means to embark on a lifelong development of what Proverbs calls shrewdness and sanctified common sense. Now, your Bible translation may say prudence in place of shrewd. We often think of shrewdness in negative terms. It's not a, it's not a positive word, usually, uh, when we think about it. But in Proverbs, when this word is used, it is always presented in a positive way. It just means to be able to foresee and deal with difficulties in life. It means to be cunning in a common sense way, using thoughtful tactics to attain your goals. Uh, God wants you to attain wonderful things in his service and for your enjoyment. Remember, the Bible says God has given you all things to enjoy. He set out good works for you to walk in. God wants you to attain great things through his power and through his leading. And he says, and, and to accomplish that, you want to be the kind of people who are being thoughtful about how you're living. You want to be shrewd about what's going on. You want to look around and, and evaluate what's happening and use God's wisdom to foresee and deal with what's coming in life. One illustration that discusses shrewdness, if you travel somewhere, some of you have traveled overseas uh, to places where pickpockets are known to frequent, right? You know, I've always heard that if you go certain places in Rome, there's a lot of pickpockets or different places like that. Only a fool would go to those places and not take a little extra care of your belongings. Or I remember the times we've gone to South America, different places, um, we would always split up our money, right? So that you don't have it all in one place. And a lot of times you wear that travel belt that's under your clothes. So if a pickpocket wants to get it, they got to really do their work for it, right? And so that, that is shrewdness because it would be foolish to not do that. But we also see here, not just that kind of thinking, but in a more general sense, we're seeing here the difference between the kind of person who just lets life happen to them as they're just swept along by the decisions of others and by their circumstances and by their culture and by the traditions and lies of this world. Life is just kind of happening to them and sweeping them along. And then the difference between those who are empowered by God to understand life on a completely different level, to, to have a higher perspective of what are my circumstances and what is the purpose of my life and why are the things happening around me that are happening. And there is a difference because if you have a person who is actively applying God's truth to their life, it completely changes perspective and attitude and understanding of circumstances, of world events, of relationships, all of these different things. So in verses 1 through 5, we are being made an offer by God through Lady Wisdom in this poem. We have received a collect call. Remember collect calls? I haven't received one in a really long time. But you're receiving a collect call. Your phone rings, you pick it up, it says you have a collect call from, we used to get them a lot here at the church, um, from state prisons, right? Just different people calling for different reasons. And it says, do you want to accept the call? And along with that, do you want to accept the charges related with that call? So this is a collect call. And we have a choice whether we're going to accept it or not. And you know what? It is a great offer. 
God is very straightforward in the book of Proverbs. To pass on this deal that he is making you is absolute foolishness and only ends in misery and destruction. So that's our opening. Verse 6 continues. Listen, for I speak of noble things, and what my lips say is right, for my mouth tells the truth, and wickedness is detestable to my lips. All the words from my mouth are righteous. None of them are deceptive or perverse. All of them are clear to the perceptive and right to those who discover knowledge. All God's ways are good and perfect all the time. Everything he does is right. We have different, um, you know, heroes of business, heroes of politics, these different people who were leaders or who were deciders and things. Nobody does things right all the time, right? There's Whoever your favorite president is, if you do research into that individual, you're going to find that, yeah, they made big mistakes. You know, the greatest statesmen of all time, whoever it is, you know, they lose some battle, they lose some fight, they, they make some mistake at some point, but not the Lord. He does everything right. You know, whenever there's some sort of collapse, whether it's a bridge or a building or an economy, there's usually someone who had been sounding the alarm before the disaster. It's just that they weren't paid attention to. Uh, A few years ago when that Miami apartment building came down, terrible tragedy, horrible loss of life. But three years before that happened, there had been an engineer who was trying to warn. He said, hey, there's structural damage to this building. Someone needs to do something about that. And he had been building this case and trying to get the message out. Or many of you are familiar with Michael Lewis's book, The Big Short. They made it into a movie. It catalogs a small group of people who saw the coming housing market collapse in 2008. Now, of course, rather than warn about it, they just got fabulously rich off of it. But with hindsight, we look back at those people and we say, oh, man, they were right all along. Uh, And they were. But for all eternity... God has been right all along, and he is not guessing, he's not evaluating, and he's not limited to just structural engineering or just economic policies. He is right all along about everything, and he knows. He has a perfect understanding of every occurrence in this universe, past, present, and future. And guess what? He is now giving you and I a chance to be on his regular mailing list, right? Whenever you go to a website these days, they have the stupid pop-up that says, you want to be on our mailing list? No, X out, right? But God's saying, hey, I, I, want to, I want to deliver my wisdom to you day after day after day, and I'm right about everything, and I want to talk to you about all of these different levels of your life. He speaks, what he speaks is excellent and trustworthy, and more importantly, it is necessary for us to hear. It is a remarkable thing that that God, for all that he could tell us, right? God doesn't have to tell us anything, right? He's not beholden to us. He doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't have to tell us anything. He's decided to tell us quite a bit through his revelation. And what he has decided, he's laid out for us um, not only who he is, not only who we are, not only his plans for this world, not only all the things that he's done and, you know, all of his love for us and all these things, but along with all of that, he also lays out the principles that are necessary for us to be the best type of parents, of husbands, of wives, of citizens, of employees, the best type of church members and neighbors, all of these things for your regular practical living, they are 
are laid out in his revealed truth. He says, I'm, I'm just going to give you all of this information, all of this understanding, if you are willing to learn it and apply it and grow in it. But notice, in order to benefit from this vast supply of wisdom, a person must have a seeking mentality. These true and noble things are for those who are perceptive and those who will discover according to these verses. God does not force his wisdom on you. If you and I, in a cosmic sense, want to sit in the corner with the dunce cap on, God says, okay, uh, I'm not going to force feed you my wisdom. He waits to see who is interested. But if you seek him, you will find him. That's a promise. God rewards those who diligently seek him. But that means that you and I must turn aside from our own pursuits, turn aside from our own perspectives, and instead commit our lives to the Lord and trust that the paths that God has for us are better than those we have planned ourselves. So the book of Proverbs just talks a lot about the way, the way of life, roads that we're taking. And the image that we're given is that we're going through life and we're headed down toward a city. Oftentimes the book of Proverbs talks about going to the city. And, and, and in this image here, we have Lady Wisdom. I'm saying, hey, stop. I'm going to tell you not to go on the road that you have made a plan to go on. Because in the end of that road is only death and destruction and ruin. Instead, I want you to turn off of that road and go a different way that I'm going to show you. Well, what's at the end of that? You'll see. It's good, but you'll see. That's effectively what God said to Abraham, right? Go to a land I'm going to show you. Where am I going? You'll see. And that's what God says to us. Follow me. I'm going to lead you through life, but you're going to have to trust that I'm not leading you into a trap. I'm not leading you to a bad place. I'm not leading you into a dark alley to jump you. I'm leading you to life everlasting. But to do that, you're going to have to say, okay, I abandon my plans to go this way on the road, and instead I'm going to go with the Lord. Human beings, we think we do a pretty good job navigating life, right? But God comes along graciously and with compassion, and he says, actually... You're all like sheep who have gone astray. I did that last time too. Meryl Streep, who has gone astray. That works too. He says, you are all like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep who have gone astray. And he says, the path that you're on leads to death. But if you come with me, you'll not only get life in the end. Along the way, I'll give you more than you could ever ask or imagine in treasure that cannot be stolen or ruined. And so he says, come with me if you want to live, to, to pull a line from a movie, right? And he says, but, and, and I'm going to give you joy and rejoicing and peace and understanding and insight. I'm going to give you growth. You're going to be like a tree planted by rivers of water. And, and as we go together, I'm just going to keep depositing reward after reward into your account full of treasure that cannot be ruined or stolen or, or, or spoiled in any way. That's the offer of God. Now notice, wisdom says there in verses 8 and 9, 8 and 9 it says all the words and then it says all of them. We need the whole counsel of God. Everything between the two covers of the Bible. We need it all. I had a professor in college once who told us that his habit each day was to read the same 10 verses each morning, 10 or so verses. Uh, that's what he did. Now, perhaps he read more than that, but I remember just sort of getting the impression that that was his routine. He would wake up and just sort of with his breakfast or whatever, he would read those 10 verses, close it, and go along. 
Uh, not the best way to study God's word, right? Those 10 verses, that's great. We need those 10 verses and we need the many thousands more than that. We need a lot more than 10 verses. We need 66 books of God's revelation according to God the Holy Spirit. And we need to absorb them the rest of our lives and continually feast on them and meditate upon them and apply them to ourselves. Verse 10 says, Accept my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than pure gold, for wisdom is better than jewels and nothing desirable can equal it. Okay, the conversation just got real. Uh, Remember when I said this was a collect call, there are charges involved. Um, God's offer is free, but it will cost us something to follow after him. Wisdom is there, offering us understanding and discernment and all of that. But now she says something that frankly has a sharp edge. She says, don't live your life in pursuit of material wealth. Don't let the pursuit of money be the deciding factor in how you make choices in life. She assumes that each of us will come to a point in life or multiple points in life where there will be an opportunity for us to either go the way of God's wisdom or the way of earthly enrichment, but that we will not be able to go both ways. And Jesus, of course, drives this point home quite a bit uh, in the Gospels. Now, wealth is relative. I get that. And money is an absolutely necessary tool in this world we live in. But as people living in the richest country, in the richest time in human history, we need to listen very carefully to the Lord's direction and his warnings when it comes to how we live and how we order our relationship with money. Uh, The New Testament also speaks very strongly about this issue and our relationship to money, which is a necessity in this world. 1 Timothy 6, 9. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's very serious when we think about what our culture says to us about wanting to be rich and about what a good thing it is to want to be rich. Now listen, having wealth is not the problem. Solomon was maybe the richest person to ever live, certainly one of them. Some estimate his peak net worth at $2 trillion. People are talking about, is Elon Musk the richest man in the world? Or is you know this guy over here the richest man in the world? Of course, all of their net worth is tied up in company value, right? Uh, Elon Musk does not have $80 billion of gold delivered to him every single year, which Solomon did. People delivered $80 billion worth of gold. And he's like, well, I guess we have gold now, you know? And in the in, in, there in the Old Testament, it talks about that. They, he had so much gold, silver had no value. And so having wealth is not the problem. In fact, even in the New Testament, Paul acknowledged there would be rich Christians. And he didn't say, and you shouldn't have rich Christians. He, he just gave instruction about, okay, if you're a rich Christian, there's some certain things that you're going to want to do in order to bless those around you. And so having wealth is not the issue. The issue is whether wealth has you. Does wealth have control of your heart? Does, does money decide how you decide things? We live in a culture that is absolutely enslaved to the pursuit of wealth, and we must be on guard guard against that worldly idol creeping into our attitudes and our decisions and our pursuits. Verse 12, I, wisdom, share a home with shrewdness and have knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate arrogant pride, evil conduct, and perverse speech. Lady Wisdom is ready to go with you, to bring you on board, to give you access to all the cabinets in her house. But there are prerequisites 
To receive this gift, you must turn from evil and instead fear the Lord. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it all starts. Think of those roommate ads. No smokers, no pets. You know, unless it's pigs, of course. But, no, but hey, if you're a smoker or if you have pets, you can't live with me in my apartment. That kind of thing. Lady Wisdom says, no arrogant pride, no evil conduct, no perverse speech. We learn several things here. First, that life is fundamentally spiritual. Not only spiritual. Our physical needs are real and they are important and God cares about them. But the spiritual life is primary. The spiritual life is much more important. Listen, you can drive your car without windshield wipers. Do you want to drive without brakes? If you have to pick one of those systems and not the other, there's one that you're definitely going to pick even in a rainstorm. In fact, you need the brakes even more in the rain than you need windshield wipers. And so one system is more important than the other. And so a healthy spiritual life is the most fundamental and important thing. It's the primary thing. Because from a healthy spiritual life, the rest of our lives are impacted. Your relational life, your physical life, all of these different things are benefited by God if you have a healthy spiritual life. It works itself out in your heart and your hands and your mouth and all of these different things. It doesn't mean we're never going to have physical needs. We will. But when we're looking at life and we're making decisions about life and choices about life, we have to remember that the most important, the most primary, the most fundamental is the spiritual life, our relationship to God, our submission to his truth. A second important truth we see here is that if a person is arrogant, if they are proud, if they conduct themselves in ungodly waves, if they refuse to control their speech, they cannot be wise. They can't. Not according to God's standard. They may have earthly power, they may seem impressive to us, but they are bankrupt when it comes to real insight. We should not invite people like that into our lives as influencers or leaders or role models. Their perspective is unwise and it leads to ruin. Verse 14, I possess good advice and sound wisdom. I have understanding and strength. It's by me that kings reign and rulers enact just law. It's by me that princes lead, as do nobles and all righteous judges. Do you want a better society? I do. Do you want a stronger nation? Do you want a better life for you and those around you? Okay, God wants that for us as well. That's a remarkable thing to realize. He says, yes, that's what I want too. And here's how you get it. Godly wisdom is the road to take. That is the road that leads to those ends. We want strength and smarts and success. Okay, then seek God's wisdom and ally yourselves with others who seek God's wisdom. Because in this book, the opposite of God's wisdom is folly. One route leads to life and the other leads to death. I think if we're honest though, we have to admit that we are often afraid that God won't actually hold up his end of the deal. Well, you know, we, we decide that, okay, yes, Lord, I love you and I believe you, but in this decision, in this aspect, in this situation, I kind of need to use worldly wisdom. I kind of need to use worldly methods. Otherwise, I'm going to get trampled on. Otherwise, we're going to lose ground. Otherwise, we're going to get swept away. And that is rooted in a, in a, in a, a theory that God is not going to be faithful. And we need to just get rid of that thought from our hearts and from our minds. Perhaps this might illustrate, this is just one illustration that I thought of when it comes to decision making and, and the way that we are tempted to often actually jettison God's wisdom and go with the world's wisdom. 
In the United States, we have a wonderful treasure called the write-in vote. So, I remember we were in Peru one time, and we happened to be there during a presidential election. It was very eye-opening, because before that, I didn't know that Peru, like many South American nations, have compulsory voting. You must vote. If you don't, you're fined. And that there is no write-in. And at the time, they had to choose between a criminal. He had, he had been president before and had been arrested and imprisoned for stealing. <laughs> and the other guy was like a cult leader, a religious cult leader. It's like, go ahead, one of these two guys. And the Christians were like, what are we going to do? Okay, so in America, we have this incredible treasure, the write-in vote. Now, I understand and recognize that voting is a personal and complicated issue, and for Christians, it is one rooted absolutely in personal spiritual liberty. So, let me get that out of the way right now. But, what do we often hear so much when it comes time for voting, especially in big elections? What do we hear? We hear over and over again about how we have to vote for one bad candidate, one ungodly person, since the alternative candidate is so much worse, right? I've heard that so many times over the years. I would suggest that that is not the only option, that there are other options that we should seriously and prayerfully consider according to what God says is true. Here's why. None of us are going to the polls tomorrow, so we can talk about this right now. Do we believe that God wants to involve himself in the affairs of nations and the affairs of men? We do. Okay, if so, do we believe that his desire is to elevate wicked people, God-hating people, blasphemers? No, we don't think that. Do we believe that ungodly people will inexplicably make godly choices? Proverbs says they won't. Proverbs says they can't. Proverbs says that they are going to make choices that lead to ruin and destruction in the end. And so we should apply what God says to real life choices, common sense choices. And even though we look down the road and we say, but this road looks glittering and shining and look at all the gold at the end of this road. Wisdom is saying, hey, not all that glitters is gold. You want to come with me. I don't see any gold at the end of that road. Oh, there's gold. It's the kind that moth and rust cannot destroy. Why don't you go with me? Even if it seems like you might lose something in the short term. There comes a time when believers must make the personal choice to stand with the Lord rather than try to score temporary, temporal victories. It's not just in voting, it's in every aspect of life. This is what Lady Wisdom is saying to us. There are going to be times in our lives, small and great, where we are presented with that question we find in the Bible, who is on the Lord's side? There's that moment in the, in, with the nation of Israel where all kinds of insanity was happening in their community. And finally, Moses said, okay, who's on the Lord's side? And one tribe said, we are. One against 11 tribes. They said, we are. They said, okay. And what happened? That turned the tide of what was going on in their entire nation. It turned back to the judgment of God because one tribe out of 11 said, you know what, I don't care what the multitude is doing. I don't care what everybody else is experiencing. We trust God. We believe God. We're going to go God's way. And it pleased the Lord. If you trust in the God of the Bible, if you follow him and listen to him, you can have strength and understanding enough to guide a nation. Verse 17 says, I love those who love me and those who search for me find me. God wants to relate to you through love, as always. 
We're not talking just about data or a flow chart of decision making. We're talking about a living, dynamic relationship between you and your creator who loves you so much. We relate to people in different ways. Those closer to our hearts have a greater impact on the way that we think, on the way that we behave. It's getting towards tax time. Some of you probably have a tax professional prepare your filing. You probably don't have a tender relationship with your accountant if they're not your husband or wife, right? You probably don't. You probably don't vacation with your accountant. You interact a couple times a year with them, and you're thankful for their help, but they're not someone you spend your life with. But then you look back on your life and you have maybe a mentor of some sort, a beloved teacher or coach who really made an impact on the person you've become. That's a different level of connection. And when they give you advice, when they speak to you, you, you pay greater attention to it. And then some of us are lucky enough to have a deep and vibrant relationship with someone we spend a lot of life with, a parent or a spouse, maybe a very close friend. Not just someone you enjoy being with, but someone who also improves who you are because of their connection with your life. And so the Lord's desire is to be the ultimate example of that kind of friend and teacher and partner to you. And he's always right. God the Father may be invisible, but he has made himself known. We see his power. We see his character in creation. We hear him speak through the scriptures. We can know the Son of God. And if we've seen the Son, we've seen the Father. The more we look on the Lord, the more we should love him. The more we love him, the more we listen to him and trust him and follow as he's leading us through life. But as we see here, these blessings of God, these promises of life and strength and joy, they begin with you and I believing God. And therefore, choosing whether we will turn toward him or whether we're going to say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to go it on the way that I have planned already. Wisdom goes on in this chapter explaining who she is and how much we need her, but time fails us to take it all in this morning. As the poem closes, though, she becomes very blunt, very serious about what's at stake here. Drop down to verse 32. And now, sons, listen to me. Those who keep my ways are happy. Listen to instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Anyone who listens to me is happy, watching at my doors every day, waiting by the post of my doorway. For the one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But the one who misses me harms himself. All who hate me love death. Jesus loves you. His desire is to lead you to life and joy and reward and fulfillment. But we can't just buy worldly wisdom or simply add it into all our other philosophies. It's a binary choice. To go God's way means to forsake all others and surrender to what he says is true. And it requires that we love him and love his truth at the core of who we are. That that this love for God compels us to go to him and ask for him to do what he wants to do. To give us what he wants to give. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind. We have a little nephew named Charlie. Uh, Charlie's the best. He's so fun. When he was two years old, we were at a, a birthday party, and there was an ice cream cake and, cake. and on top of the ice cream cake, there was like six or seven little miniature cones, right? One for each of the, the grandkids in the family. When he saw that cake, well, you know you know the emoji with the head blowing off? Like, that's, that's what happened to Charlie. And he fixated on this one, on this one cone. He marveled and he, and he looked over and he said to Kelly, he calls her Anki, Aunt Kelly. He says, Anki, I loved that one. I loved that. I loved that one. And he just kept saying it over and over again. And he kept getting closer and closer to this one cone. I don't remember which one it was. He just kept getting closer and closer. He wanted to touch it. He had to touch it. He had to have it. And he hovered around that cake 
until it was served. He just had to lay hold of that little cone. And you know what? He received it because he wanted it. And of course, the owners of the cake wanted to give Charlie that which he desired so greatly. Jesus said we're to receive the kingdom of God like a little child with that kind of affectionate, emboldened love. Had he the vocabulary, Charlie would have said, you can have all this world, just give me that cone. That's what he would have said, right? But that's how the Lord wants us to choose him. And to believe that what he's offering is that incredible cake, full of satisfaction and full of joy and full of rejoicing, that he's not withholding from us, but he wants to give us more than we could ever ask or imagine, to see how good he is and to desire him and move toward him and lay hold of him. God presents his wisdom in ways that are hard to overstate, especially in the book of Proverbs. What he's offering sounds too good to be true, but of course it is true because God is true and he is good and he loves you. We have the opportunity today to not miss what he's offering. And so let's listen and trust and obey and obtain the life and the favor and all the rest that God desires to give. Let's pray.